welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Jeff Gaudette. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Runners Connect podcast. It's Jeff Gaudette again here with you, and we've got a little bit of a deviation from our normal podcasting uh, schedule. A couple weeks ago, I did an interview with RunKeeper, which was basically a coach chat for some of the training plans that I write for the RunKeeper GPS application. For those that may not be familiar, RunKeeper provides uh, GPS services through your phone, and you can check them out at runkeeper.com. In any case, I wrote some training plans for them uh, a few years ago now, and so I basically did a call with them to answer some questions from some of their user base. Um, I thought some of the questions were fairly pertinent uh, other users might have or other runners might have. So I figured I'd turn that conversation into a podcast and go ahead and publish it for you guys. So the following is uh, the coach chat hours that I did uh, with RunKeeper. Uh, The questions uh, range pretty uh, dramatically from fairly specific to uh, pretty general marathon training questions. So I think uh, listening to this, you'll probably get a lot of value out of most of the interview. Um, if there is a uh, particular question that doesn't interest you, for example, if somebody asked about an injury and um, you're not really too concerned with injuries, you can just go ahead and fast forward through that part. But in any case, I hope you find a lot of benefit from it, and uh, thanks for listening. All right, wanted to welcome everyone back to RunKeeper Office Hours. I am Chaz Wagner. I'm the community manager over here at RunKeeper. Uh, last week, we were with John Gilman, one of the product managers over here. Uh, if you're with us, there are only a few people. Uh, it's good to start with a small crowd to work out the uh, kinks and bugs. But we talked a lot about the social aspects of the RunKeeper app, uh, trying to make fitness just more social, uh, running feel like more of a uh, not a lonely effort anymore, but uh, feel like you're doing it with other people. So that was good last week. And uh, this week, we're, we've got a, a guest uh, with us, big big fan of, of RunKeeper. We're a big, big proponent of him. It's uh, Coach Jeff Gaudette, and he is one of the coaches that uh, handles, manages, and uh, does the RunKeeper training plans. A lot of the, uh, Jeff does the half marathon plans, the 10K ones, marathon ones, and I'm probably missing some others, Jeff, but um, he is a uh, Big, um, he, he ran in college um, at Brown, great runner. Some of the numbers that, that he threw up are, are pretty astounding. And uh, even ran uh, in the Olympic trials for the uh, uh, 10,000 meters and also the marathon. Um, and post-college and post-competitive uh, running, became a coach in 2005 and has been uh, – doing it ever since and has his own company, Runners Connect, which uh, him and four other coaches um, power and um, enable runners to run their first marathon or get a B, um, you know, BQ qualifying time and has really helped people um, with their running careers. So uh, without further ado, I want to do uh, welcome Jeff to RunKeeper Office Hours. Thanks, Jazz, for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here, and I always enjoy chatting with runners and helping to answer questions. Um, so it's it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Yeah, we we had, we had you in the office, uh, our physical office, uh, last last summer, last fall. Mm-hmm. A lot of good tidbits, tons of advice, even for us who are pretty experienced runners. We we gain a lot of knowledge and hoping to um, share a lot of that that same knowledge that we got with uh, with the runkeeper community. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I gave a little intro. You probably have a, a lot better things to say, so <laughs> you just want to give uh, give everyone a little um, intro to yourself. Sure. Yeah. So as Chaz mentioned, I've been coaching since 2005, and um, we work with at Runners Connect. We work with runners of all ability levels, from total beginners to um, you know women that are running sub three hours in the marathon and men that are running sub two thirty. And we cover that gambit, and we have coaches that specialize in working with uh, every type of runner um, and every type of training history. So we really try to match personalities with, um, you know, what a runner's personality and goals and uh, previous training history is to the strengths of the coaches that we have. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, the community is uh, exciting to, to, to watch and to watch grow, and um, 
watch the runners improve. To me, that's the best thing, and that's why I love doing these things even uh, with RunKeeper with you guys here uh, because I love hearing when runners are able to improve. Um, it's amazing how much, how much better it is to, uh, to help somebody else run faster compared to yourself. Um, and the beautiful, beautiful thing about running is whether you're fast or slow or whatever your time is, running's all the same. Um, if you broke four hours for the, for the marathon for the first time and, and you spent a couple years trying to achieve that goal, uh, it feels exactly the same as it does for probably myself who uh, spent years trying to break 14 minutes for a 5K. Um, you know, that, that feeling that you get when you cross the finish line, when you accomplish your goal and, and achieve, you know, what you've dreamed about uh, is, is universal. And that's what makes running so awesome and so special and makes what I do so, so awesome. So I'm excited to answer some questions today. Cool. A 14-minute 5K is, is insane. Crazy. <laughs> it's all relative. <laughs> uh, real, before we get into questions, I, we have to tell everyone about how you, you like the number two. Uh, it has, has a special meaning for your marathon time, right? Uh, yes. Uh, so I ran 2.22.02. So lots of twos in that, uh, <laughs> in that marathon time. <laughs> That's nuts. What marathon was that? Uh, that was the Chicago Marathon in, I think it was either 2006 or 2007. I, I'm getting old now, so I forget what the, what the exact date was, but one of those. Okay. Well, that was, that was when you started coaching, so you, you, the mental side of, of running uh, started to kick in for you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, the whole time I was thinking, what am I doing out here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so like Jeff said, we're going we're gonna to open it up to you guys where we ask for questions out there on Facebook and Google Plus, and I think Twitter as well. And we're just gonna run down run down the list of, of questions we have right now. So these are the ones that came prepared. Then if we have time afterwards, we can um, we can scope out and see if there's more that came in as we uh, since we started. Absolutely. So Jeff, yeah, the people that are watching, I encourage you to, to ask your questions. Um, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity sometimes to, to ask a coach something. So definitely jump on while you're watching this and, and ask your questions, and, and hopefully we'll get to it, and I'll do my best to, to give as a specific answer as I can. So, Yeah, exactly what he said. So let's start with we got Renee uh, with the first question. I don't know where, where's Renee from. I don't know if she told us that she just. Um, okay, well, let's, let's start with her question. So Renee says, I had been regularly running for a few months and suddenly started experiencing pain in my upper right leg. How can I tell if this is muscular or something else? I'm really missing running. Can I keep running? I have been told this might be scar tissue. That's a, that's a really uh, good question, but it's also a tough question to answer. Um, when anything that comes with injuries, it's really difficult to diagnose and to provide specific advice when you know I'm not there to, to manipulate it or to really see what's going on or to, to ask more questions. Um, but I would say I would say first step is if you have the availability to go see a, a running specialist, a sports doctor um, or a physical therapist who works with runners, um, they're going to be able to, to provide a lot more specific information to you about what exactly might be going on. Um, the first step to, to healing any injury is really figuring out exactly what it is. Um, because until you know exactly what it is, it's hard to, to, treatment, to, to provide specific treatment. Um, with a, an upper quad injury, um, it's typically going to be something that's either very minor, like a muscle strain or um, maybe some scar tissue. But, um, so it could be something kind of relatively minor like that where it just needs a little bit of rest, maybe some extra stretching um, and some strengthening. Um, or it could be something more serious uh, like a stress fracture. Um, typically with, with running injuries though, uh, the best way to determine whether you can run on it or not is if, uh, one, you want to make sure that it's not impacting your gait. So if you're out for a run and you're feeling it so much that it's causing you to limp or to alter your stride in some type, some fashion, then you definitely want to stop. That's not good. Um, another good, uh, sign, another sign is that if it gets progressively worse as you run, then that's something that's you probably want to need. You're going to have to take some rest on. So if you have an injury that, uh, or you you have something that feels really tight or a little bit sore when you first start, but then gradually goes away as you continue to to run, then that's something that, um, again, this is a general assumption, but that's something you can generally run through. Um, you know, as you continue to to treat it and strengthen it. Uh, but if it's the opposite, where you start out and there's really not a lot of pain, but then as you as you go and finish, uh, it's extremely painful. Then that's something that you're probably going to need to take some rest from. 
So uh, general advice, uh, try to figure out exactly what's going on. Visit a, a specialist uh, that, that can, can tell you what it is, um, and then you'll be able to, to start treating it. And then make sure and listen to those two pieces of advice about you know, whether you're able to run on it or not. And, and I know you want to run. Uh, trust me, I've had my fair share of injuries where I've almost torn, torn my hair out because I wanted to get out and run so bad. Uh, but taking the rest time now is definitely to your advantage. So um, try to get it healthy, and then when you're, when you're healthy, you'll be able to run consistently long term. Yeah, and, and for kind of beginners or even um, more experienced runners, can you explain what a, a gait is? Um, oh, sure, yeah. So gait is just a, probably a more sophisticated way of saying you're running stride or you're running form. So yeah. we call what the, what the legs do or actually the entire body does uh, when it's running, it's usually it's called the gait cycle. Um, and there's a couple different phases to it, um, but but yeah, gait is basically just uh, your running form. Okay, cool. Um, next, yeah, injuries. Uh, I know short term you wanna you don't wanna miss any uh, workouts or anything, but long term it's it's definitely beneficial for some for some some rest. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll, I'll expand on that to say that you know one of the biggest mistakes that runners make, whether they be beginners or really really serious runners, is that they try to run on an injury too long and often the best solution and as, as hard as it is is to take the rest time early so if you start to feel something uh, take a precautionary day off and and start treating it do the therapy do the strength work um, because what ends up happening is injuries get progressively worse so you could you could take one or two days and, and catch something before it becomes major and 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 basically only need those two days off to be 100 percent healthy uh, but runners get get uh, too, uh, too crazy about wanting to take time off and then they run on an injury and the next thing they know they turned a, a very minor Achilles issue or a minor plantar issue into a full-blown injury that's, that's going to require three, four weeks off. Um, so it's definitely better to, to get ahead of, out ahead of the injuries and, and take the time uh, right off the bat. Yeah, it's, it's tough sometimes, like you say. Absolutely. I, I trust, and, I, and I say yeah. that from experience because um, I... I, I can't even count the number of times that um, I felt something coming on and I just was like, oh, I got this race coming up. I need to be ready for it. I can't lose my fitness and, uh, and try to keep training on it. And the next thing I know, uh, I'm out for four weeks. And uh, all I had to do was be smart and take one or, day, one or two days at the beginning and, and get it rested up. And, um, and I lost a lot of time that way. So definitely speaking from experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we'll send out the link. I know you have you published an article. I think it was in the fall about people's unwillingness to take time off mm -hmm. and uh, the the toll it takes. I, I thought it was uh, a lot of science behind it too, which I thought was uh, was really insightful. Yeah, we'll definitely share those links with people. Um, I find they help, uh, especially there's a there's a lot of research we we did on uh, how much time off, like not running, actually impacts your fitness. And it's amazing how little it, it little it actually is. Um, it takes up to ten days of no running to even start to lose any fitness, um, and it takes up to like twenty or twenty five days of no running to, to, to for it to be noticeable enough that you're not gonna not gonna respond back to training within a couple days. So um, just knowing that research can help a little bit when you're uh, dreading that time off. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So second question, uh, neat. Knee coach, he's from Greece, so a little difficult on the, on the name pronunciation, but good question here from him. It's, um, Jeff, did my first marathon according to your marathon to finish in four hours, 20 minutes, and I, want, I went on to my next marathon, the Athens Classic Marathon, to finish in under four hours, or he, he hasn't done it yet. This is his goal for the Athens Marathon. What program should I follow and what nutrition habits should be in place? No, that's a great question. And first of all, congrats on, on finishing your first marathon. That's a pretty solid time for your first one. Um, and I think four hours is a pretty reasonable goal for your second race, um, giving you more time to train and uh, having that training behind you already. So um, we do have a sub four hour marathon uh, class on RunKeeper. So um, you can definitely check out that plan. That would be the one that I recommend. Um, I believe it's, it's uh, sub four hours uh, and that's the one that, that I would uh, recommend. Um, as opposed, uh, in, uh, excuse me, uh, in, for nutrition habits, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty general question. But uh, generally, I would say that you know you want to make sure that um, you know in your training, you want to be fueling yourself uh, appropriately during your workouts. 
um, in making sure that uh, I, probably the biggest benefit or I guess the most important thing with nutrition is to make sure that you're fueling after your workouts. Um, so after your hard running days, make sure that you're taking in a, a good number of calories and a four to one ratio of carbohydrates to protein. Um, so for every for your body weight, uh, you want to be taking in um, four grams of carbohydrate for every one gram of protein. Um, and generally, you want to be getting in, trying to get about 250 to 500 calories um, within the hour after you, uh, after you finish your hardest workout. Um, and getting in that type of nutrition is going to help you recover. It's going to replenish your glycogen stores, um, and it's going to allow you to, to train consistently week after week. Um, as a, in a, in, for fueling, um, I definitely suggest that you uh, try to plan out what's, what works best for your stomach. Most nutrition for, for running or pre-hard pre, uh, pre workout, pre-race, uh, all comes down to what your stomach is able to handle. Um, it's very, very individual in terms of uh, what you'll be able to stomach and what, you'll, uh, what works best for you. So you need to experiment with the type of foods that you like. Uh, but generally, you want to get something that has a good amount of carbohydrate. Um, and, and usually, you want to try to get that as close to your run as possible. Um, for some people, that's going to be 30 minutes. For some people, that's two hours. So again, that's where you want to experiment in your training with, um, with what you want to take. Um, and then in terms of workouts and races, uh, taking uh, nutrition during the race, um, I suggest that runners take uh, some type of energy gel every 45 to 60 minutes. Um, that's uh, a pretty optimal amount of, of gel, or I should say fuel, to take uh, during uh, a race. Uh, I, th I see a, a problem with a lot of runners is they take way too much energy gels. Um, and the problem with that is that the body, as it, the body can only process so much simple sugar at one time. Um, in, order to, in order to be used by the bloodstream, uh, your body has to digest that carbohydrate and, and turn it into glucose so your body can use it. And it can only do that so rapidly. It can only do that so fast. Um, in addition, your body starts to slow itself down uh, or slow the digestion process down when you run hard. So what ends up happening is you're starting to run hard. Your muscles need to work harder. Your brain needs more, um, more energy. And so your body starts to shut down you know, what we call non-essential processes. So Process that are, processes that are not essential to you running faster. And one of those processes is the, is the digestion process. So everything that you digest, it's actually going to take longer uh, for it to, to process. And so what ends up happening is runners that are taking too much carbohydrates or too much simple sugar is that the body starts to reject it. So that's when you start getting that sick feeling, uh, having to go to the bathroom, those types of things. Um, so I recommend 40 to 45 to 60 minutes, uh, every 45 to 60 minutes taking some type of energy gel. Um, and always taking it with water to make sure that you wash it down. Um, and you don't want to take an energy gel with uh, another sugary beverage like a Gatorade or Powerade uh, because that's just too much simple sugar at one time. Again, it goes back to that your, your body's ability to process all that simple sugar um, at one time. So th those are uh, the, probably the, big, the three biggest tips that I would give in terms of uh, nutrition program for training for the marathon. No, those are great. I know when you came in and spoke with us, you had a uh, kind of the perfect four to one uh, fuel post workout, and uh, I remember you saying chocolate milk. Yeah, chocolate milk works really, really well. Um, we did some research on it. Well, well, I shouldn't say we did, but we looked at the research that a lot of scientists have done, and uh, it's been shown that that chocolate milk works just as good as almost every other recovery beverage on the market. So you know, specialized recovery beverages made by the big marketing brands. Um, chocolate milk was shown to, to work just as well in terms of for muscle recovery. So it's a really simple way that you can, to, can get in your four to one carbohydrate to protein ratio um, without even needing to think about it. Um, some other good uh, uh, solutions are, I, use, I used to use like a power bar and uh, water or yogurt with granola uh, is another good one. Um, so those are some stuff, you know, you can just really put together real foods to, to eat that are really simple to put together and, uh, and have available with you no matter where you're doing your run from, whether it be from home or the gym or uh, the track, the park, whatever. Yeah, can you touch on, I know one of your, also your, one of your philosophies is, um, I think you noted this in, in the sub-330 marathon on RunKeeper, and I, I want to say it applies to all the plans, regardless mm -hmm. of pace time, but you want to be burning fat during, you want fat as your energy source during 
kind of the longer runs as opposed to carbohydrates. So with, right. with that in mind, uh, are there certain meals and foods that that will provide you that fat um, source as opposed to, to carbs? Yeah, no, so that's a great question. Um, from a nutritional sp perspective, um, there isn't, there aren't really foods that you'll want to eat that are specifically going to provide the fat source that you need. Uh, your body has enough fat to burn, um, even if you're a, a really well-conditioned distance runner. Um, your body has enough fat to burn for, to run easy, to run at an easy pace for uh, hours and hours and hours and hours on end, uh, ultra marathon type distances. Um, there's some there's some science that sh that's shown that there is a benefit to run to doing some of your long runs in what they call a fasted state. So that would be a so for example, if you're running doing your long run in the morning, uh, to doing a long run without having breakfast first. So having kind of low uh, glycogen carbohydrate levels. Um, and what that's been shown to do is to switch over your body's or to, to get your body more efficient at using fat uh, as a fuel source. Um, and that's definitely something that uh, it's kind of an advanced tactic that we use, that we coach marathoners to use. Um, you need to be a little bit careful with it, um, only because um, without taking carbohydrate before a run, there's there's a significant chance that you're going to bonk during your training, um, and to have one of those situations where you're out on a long run and you just your body kind of starts to shut down. Um, so you need to be careful that that's not going to happen to you. Um, and you also need to make sure that you don't do it with every run that you do or every long run that you do uh, because it's very tough on the body. And the research shows that uh, doing it intermittently, so every couple long runs or every couple workouts, um, is good. But doing it too often put, puts the body in a state of uh, uh, constant glycogen depletion, which uh, inhibits recovery and actually doesn't allow you to train as hard as you need to. So what we suggest runners do if they're going to do something like a fasted long run is to do them early in the training segment, um, and then when uh, so for example, if you have 16 weeks to your marathon, uh, doing it in the first uh, anywhere from four to eight weeks, and then using the last six to eight weeks um, to to do field long, long runs, and that's going to the first thing that's going to do is allow you to practice with your pre-race meal and find whatever uh, whatever foods work best for you for your stomach, because the last thing you want to do is get to race day and realize that uh, you don't know what to eat before the run, or you don't know what's going to settle in your stomach well. Um, and then second, it allows you to practice fueling and drinking on the run. So uh, taking in gel and fuel on the run is definitely something that you need to get your stomach used to. Uh, if you, The first time that you do it, you'll probably notice that your stomach gets a little bit upset, um, or that you just in general you don't like doing it. Um, so the more that you can practice during your runs, the better. And we find that the best time to practice that is in the last six to eight weeks of training. Um, so that's kind of covers the nutritional side of, of kind of using burning, I, I guess, being more efficient at using fat as a fuel source. Um, where really that comes into play is actually your pace um, and kind of your training workouts. And that's something that when we train for the marathon in, in the uh, Runkeeper plans is that we, we build into, into the system. Um, basically the goal of marathon training workouts are to get your body to be more efficient at burning fat as a fuel source. So the reason that's so important is that during a marathon, you can run at marathon pace, or you have enough glycogen in your liver and in your muscles to run about uh, anywhere from 90 minutes to two hours at your marathon pace. So that marathon effort, you can do for 90, to, 90 minutes to two hours. So we can see the problem there is that uh, unless you're uh, an elite Kenyan Ethiopian runner, you're going to probably have another hour, two hours of running after your glycogen stores run out. Yeah. And so the obvious thing to say would be, okay, well, you'll just take in fuel during the run, and that'll kind of make up for it. You'll take in carbohydrate and to offset that ability to the, the amount of glycogen that you have. And that works to an extent. But like we talked about earlier, uh, your body can't officially process that much carbohydrate. Um, I'm blanking on the numbers at the moment, but there is a limit. Uh, there is an actual number to how much uh, kind of how much glycogen carbohydrate your body can process at once. Um, but basically that number is not anywhere near enough uh, to get you uh, another hour to two hours of running. Um, for elite runners, if you're running 220, 210, uh, it's definitely easily possible to, to get in that amount of carbohydrate through, um, through gels alone. But if you're running three hours, four hours, um, you're going to need something more than just carbo simple carbohydrates and sugars uh, because your body's just not going to be able to take in that much carbohydrate. So the next 
the next thing that we need to do is to say to lengthen that amount of time that you can run, or I should say, to become more efficient at burning fat at your marathon pace. And so when you do that, you're able to extend the amount of time that you're able to to keep those glycogen stores um, in check. So for example, if you become more efficient, so let's say that you're that you become more efficient at burning fat at your marathon pace, you're going to be able to run longer burning fat and, and kind of saving those carbohydrates, keeping them in your stores for longer periods. So now you might be able to get two hours and a half, two and a half hours into your run before uh, burning that, burning through your carbohydrate stores. So uh, did that make sense? Yes, it did. Okay. And I know we've only gotten through two questions, but your last point about not letting your uh, glycogen levels getting depleted mm -hmm. is does that tie back to your moving a little bit away from nutrition mm -hmm. into the philosophy of your plans where you space out um, the weekend runs or, or how the weekend workouts fall mm -hmm. rather than doing a very long workout mm -hmm. that really long run on one day as most plans do mm -hmm. you have it spaced out over two days so that the Saturday run you're you're somewhat fatigued and somewhat exhausted but it gives you some um, a cushion to then do an equally long run on Sunday as well. Yeah, exactly, and and that's the, the exact reason that we do it. So going back to that fat versus carbohydrate uh, situation. So when you run easy, you're primarily burning fat. Um, your body, it's your body doesn't have to work too hard. It doesn't need so uh, the way the body breaks down energy is it. Carbohydrate is the most efficient uh, source of energy for the body, carbohydrate gl glycogen. Uh, that burns really easily, and the body can, can use that quickly. Um, fat burns really slowly, but it's, it, but it's less efficient, and the body can't really burn it very quickly. To, it can't convert fat to usable energy very efficiently. And so when you're running, if you're running very easy, your body doesn't need, it doesn't need energy uh, as, uh, as critically. So it can use fat to, to, as, a, as a fuel source, and that's what it'll do. When you run slow, it'll use fat as a fuel source. Uh, the faster you start to run, the more carbohydrates are needed because the, the muscle contractions are more explosive, the body is generating, uh, it's going to need more energy. So when you do a really long, easy run, if you just go and do 23, 24 miles and you just keep it easy the, the entire time, all you're doing is burning fat, which is, which is good in its own way, uh, but that's really the only energy system that you're using. What we do is we try to, uh, and so, but the problem with that for the marathon is that let me go back and say that the problem with that with the marathon is that you've never, you've never improved your ability to burn fat when running at marathon pace. For that 24 miles, you never once touched marathon pace. So you never, you never practiced that at all. What we try to do is split the, the, the run into two sections where the Saturday run is usually what we call a steady state run, which is roughly your aerobic threshold, which is, correlates well to marathon pace. So a steady run is roughly your marathon pace or a range around your marathon pace. And so you're spending anywhere from four to six to eight miles on a Saturday running at marathon pace, teaching your body to be more efficient at using fat as a fuel source at marathon pace. So now that you have um, eight to ten miles of, of running in your legs on Saturday, now you go to do your Sunday long run. And it's two things. One, we've already, again, like we said, we've already practiced a little bit of, of burning fat at marathon pace. But now your glycogen stores are depleted because we've used we've had to use some carbohydrate on Saturday to, to get through that type of effort. So now you start Sunday, your glycogen stores are depleted, your legs are a little bit tired, you're fatigued, and now you're doing a long run. And what we do is we keep it shorter, but we make it faster. So there are different types of long runs that you do, but in all the types, you're usually doing something that involves burning carbohydrate or trying to teach your body to burn fat at marathon pace. So you're doing some portion of the long run at marathon pace. Maybe you're doing surges to, uh, to spike the carbohydrate use to, to deplete your glycogen stores. But all in all, the, the goal is to deplete the glycogen stores and to get your body to get more efficient at burning fat at marathon pace. So over the entire weekend, you've now covered uh, 28, 30 miles, um, whereas uh, in, your, in the single long run scenario, you've only covered maybe 22, 24 miles, and you've done none of it at, at marathon pace. In our, the way the runkeeper plans work is maybe you've now covered 26, 28 miles with the two runs combined over the weekend, um, and probably 50% of it, if not more, has been run at marathon pace. So you've taken the entire weekend, run more miles at marathon pace, actually run further uh, as a total distance, 
and I think uh, have trained yourself more, to be more efficient at, at running the marathon. And probably the most important factor is that um, you're, you've, reduced your ability, you're, you've reduced your chance of getting injured uh, because injuries happen as the body gets tired. And so when you're on one of those 22, 24-mile long runs, um, that's when those injuries start to those um, overuse injuries start to creep up. Your form start to deteriorate. Deteriorate. Um, you start getting tired, and that's when the injuries can start creeping up. Whereas if you split the runs into two, you're getting the same benefit uh, without the increased risk of injury. Nice. I, it's a really profound point where I think a lot of most marathon runners, all they think about is carbohydrates. And I don't, I don't think fat is ever um, introduced or talked about. And it's, uh, it's kind of counterintuitive to, to all the books and, and blogs and everything you, you tend to read about. Yeah, you know, to be honest, and that's what happens as you get faster is that your aerobic threshold, the point at which you kind of start to switch over from using fat and to using carbohydrate, roughly speaking, um, the, faster you, the faster that you can make that pace for you, the longer you're going to be able to run at marathon pace um, or what your goal marathon pace would be. Um, and that's what ends up happening for runners that, that get significantly better is that eventually uh, that type of pace becomes super easy that you're just burning fat. And from that perspective, you can pretty much go forever um, in terms of burning fat. I mean, it's really difficult to, to run out of, of a fat source as, as fuel. Awesome. Um... All right, we gotta we gotta get to more. Uh, we got some glo we got tons of international and, and global uh, users out there. So let's get the the next question is sure. from Vinicius. He's from Brazil, and uh, he asks Jeff, "I'm in the last weekend of your sub 55 minute 10k program, and I'd like to say I really enjoyed it. It was a huge surprise for me how I got positive results from. It. I was thrilled with it all the time and had tons of fun. Good to hear." But now I realize that I've reached a certain pace that I can't run any faster. I think this was a good segue, Jeff. <laughs> um, I'm running around 5, 10 um, per minute kilometer. So for in the U.S., uh, basically an 8-minute, eight eight 10-second pace uh, per mile for us in the States. He'd like to improve this to something like, uh, well, 6.50-minute miles or 4.15 uh, minute kilometers. Uh, he asked, any recommendations for achieving that goal? By the way, I'm a 36-year-old guy with seven months of a running career. You know, that's a great question. It's something that we get a lot um, in terms of, you know, and it really the general question here is, you know, how do I improve? Um, because that's really what it comes down to. Um, and what I'm going to say is that you need to, uh, and, and this is this is advice to every runner out there, is you need to focus on the long term and taking gradual steps with your training. So obviously your eventual goal is to run, you know, roughly around 4.15 per, per kilometer for a 10K, I'm assuming, your, your race time, race pace. Um, and that's going to take years. Um, and you just have to be comfortable with the fact that that progression is going to take years. It's not going to happen in a month. It's not going to happen in six months, or it's not going to happen in a year. Um, but the goal with training is to continue to take steps every, uh, you know, every period. There's really no breakdown of it, but you want to slowly improve every month and every year. And in your particular case, the actual what, what's actually interesting is that um, the biggest improvement is going to be it's not your absolute speed. And so that's where runners, a lot of runners, get confused, especially beginners when they're when they're running, is that your ability to run a 10k at 4:15 per kilometer is not um, is not uh, limited by your speed. So let me give you an example. If you were to go to a track and run 400 meters, I am almost positive that you could run 415 per kilometer pace for that one lap. Just one lap, you could run 415 per kilometer. And, that, and, and anybody that's listening to this could uh, translate that to their own particular goal, what, you know, whatever their improvement, or, or let's say you're trying to qualify for Boston, whatever that pace would be. You can do that for 400 meters. You may even be able to do that for 800 meters. Um, so you have the raw speed to be able to do it. What you don't have is your ability to run that pace for 10 kilometers. Or let's, you know, for example, if you're trying to run uh, 310 for, for a marathon, or you know, whatever that, um, whatever your pace may be, at some point you don't have the ability to to with, to hold that pace for the entire race. Other, otherwise, it obviously wouldn't be your goal. Um, so for most runners, the problem isn't their absolute speed. 
Their problem is that they can't hold that pace for the distance that they need to, to run their goal time. And most of that comes down to aerobic, uh, your aerobic conditioning, your aerobic ability. So let me give you some stats. Um, uh, when racing the 5K, which is obviously a pretty short distance when it comes to you know, what I guess most of us runners are used to, uh, for the 5K, uh, if you're a man, about 90% of the race is aerobic. So 90% of the energy that, that goes to, to running a 5K or that contributes to running a 5K comes from your aerobic system. For the 10K, I think it's like 93 or 95%. For the half marathon, it's 98%. And for the marathon, it's close to 99%. So the, your, your aerobic system is actually the biggest contributor to your ability to run faster over long periods of time. Um, and so when I, that gets back to the point where, in, that gets the point where it's going to take years because developing the aerobic system is not something that happens quickly. Uh, it takes years of mileage, consistent training, uh, to be able to build up that aerobic system. So in your particular case, um, or actually anybody that, that's listening to this that wants to improve, what you need to look at doing is, over, over time, being consistent with your training. And that means uh, not training for a couple weeks at uh, high mileage and then needing two weeks off because you're so tired or got injured. It means taking uh, months at a time and running consistently uh, healthy. And so whether that's 25 miles a week or 40 miles a week or 60 miles a week, whatever your current ability level is, it's about taking that time, extending the amount of time that you're able to run healthy and slowly building up your mileage. So maybe one month you're running 20, 25 miles a week as your max. Let's say that um, that's the most miles that you're doing. Um, and then over the period of months, not weeks, months, increasing that to maybe being comfortable in the 25 to 30 mile a week range. Um, and then once that feels comfortable for a few months, increasing that to 35, 30 to 35 miles a week range, and then getting it to you know whatever point is you're comfortable with stopping, whether it be for um, health reasons, whether you're feeling like you're getting injured, or be it time reasons, you know you need to spend time at work, family. Totally understand that. But the longer that you can spend running aerobically and training, uh, that's how you're going to improve. So um, that I know that wasn't a really specific answer, but I hope it gave a, a good general idea of what everybody needs to do. Um, in order to improve, whether your goal is to improve by two minutes or five minutes, uh, and whatever race distance it is, um, you need to think long term uh, and make those gradual progressions with your training, um, and focus on the aerobic side of things: tempo runs, mileage, long runs, those types of things. Cool. Can you? Um, I always ask this question. It seems seems very simplified, mm -hmm. but can you uh, distinguish between aerobic and anaerobic? Yeah, sure. So aerobic running is when your body is able to exercise in the presence of oxygen. So you breathe in, your body uh, you know, runs, it does all the processes it needs to do to run, and it uses that oxygen, and there's plenty, there's plenty of oxygen available. And you exhale it, carbon dioxide comes out, you're kind of pro perfect, you're, you're, using, you're using oxygen. Anaerobic means that with, anaerobic basically is without oxygen, or basically when your body does not have the ability to uh, take in enough oxygen to power everything that needs to happen uh, with running. So the faster you run, obviously the more explosively your muscles have to contract, uh, the harder your heart has to beat, the more the faster blood has to speed through your system. That all takes energy and it all takes oxygen to, to do that. And so at some point you're running so fast where your body does not have enough oxygen to, to continue running. And so that's what, that's what we call anaerobic uh, that's what we call the anaerobic system is where, and you can only do that for so long because without the presence of oxygen, uh, the body starts to produce lactic acid um, or more specifically lactate isn't converted uh, and carbon, calcium ions, all the complicated stuff that happens with, with lactic acid. But basically, um, you can only do that for, for a short period of time uh, and you can only run for a short period of time without the presence of oxygen. Okay. Yeah. That, that, did that answer your question or was it too kind of... Um, not scientific, but uh, kind of out there. Did that give a good explanation? It got, it got a little scientific where you're turning lactate <laughs> into... That's why I tried to stop. <laughs> you cut you uh, yourself. I mean, no, it's uh, the the shorter the race, um, I'm sure on a, on a sprint or 400-meter dash, it's, it's very anaerobic. And then that's right. why you said with a marathon, you're never... You're not going at, at, at full bore because you have another... 26 miles to go. Correct. Right. So the body can only the, the body can only run first or do any activity for so long uh, without enough oxygen. So for for 400 meters, 
Um, I think it's something, I think the percentages are like 60% anaerobic and 40% aerobic, uh, something wow. like 400. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you're, when you're only talking about sprinting for anywhere from a minute to 90 seconds, um, you know, that can be done roughly without, uh, without an abundant supply of oxygen. Um, and so that's, you know, you're able to do that. But then as you continue to up that distance, you need to rely more on your aerobic system. Cool. So uh, next question is, is another 10 k and we can tell uh, definitely yeah, the European crowd because I don't think 10Ks are all that popular in the States. It's, it might be um, overgeneralization, but I think we're more the 5K half marathon, marathon crowd. But here's a question from Maya. I'm currently running three times a week training for my next 10K to get to sub 55 minutes. Kind of like Venetius in the last question. I started this training a month and a half ago. I wasn't running for a long time, no more than one year. It is common that I get a hard stomach ache after I run a 10K or more than a 10K. That means when I'm training, when training is too hard for me. Um, I also have to kind of throw up and I get sick afterwards and I don't eat meals close to my training. Um, I usually train at 6.30 p.m. in the evening and have a healthy lunch at 1.30 p.m. and a snack of fruit or cereal bar in the afternoon post-lunch. I was told it is common for beginners trying too hard. Um, I, want, I think she, she's asking, is, is it okay for her to be pushing um, for this, you know, a, a pace goal? You know, some people have a completion goal, other people have a certain pace goal for a race. Um, with her getting sick and all, um, is this a sign that um, a signal from her body that she's pushing training too hard, or is this something that uh, she just needs to power through and, and uh, it's just part of, part of the training process? Yeah, I think that's, there's two separate questions in there, um, in, in a way, and, and they're both very valid. Um, the first goes to what, you know, whether she's training too hard. Um, and that's difficult to tell because I don't know what her background is. Um, you know, I don't know what her previous 10K PR or what her other PRs are. Um, but in general, um, I think anybody that, when, when you look at a time goal, I think anybody that, that looks at a time goal needs to be a little bit uh, objective about, or subjective about, you know, what that time goal is. You know, is, it, is that realistic for you? And, and again, I don't know in this particular case if that's, if that's the instance or not. But generally, you need to, to really assess of whether, whether your goal is just something that you've kind of plucked out of thin air and said, I want to run sub-55 minutes. Um, or if it's something that realistic, your last 10K was uh, 58 minutes. Um, in that case, 55 minute would be a, a pretty normal step forward. Whereas if, um, if your last 10K was 65 minutes, it's probably not, you know, as much as you may want it to be, the next logical step for you might not be 55 minutes. But uh, that's a much more complicated individual type of, of question. Um, in terms of stomach aches, diarrhea, throwing up, uh, before or after or during workouts, um, it's it, it's not normal in the sense that it shouldn't be happening, but it is normal in the sense that a lot of runners suffer from it. So um, you do want to you do want to get to the point where it doesn't happen anymore. Um, it does usually signify that you're training too hard, and it may not necessarily be that you're training too hard um, outside of your ability level. It may be that training you're training in the heat. Um, you're saying it looks like this is uh, you started about a month and a half ago um, in your training now I don't know where you're from but it's possible that it's very hot where you live if you're anywhere in the where it's currently summer um, training in the heat like we talked about with the marathon uh, the body starts to shut down the digestive system and really starts to uh, mess with the stomach um, and there's been a lot of research that has shown that training in the heat um, really significantly um, causes stomach sickness um, so it could be something that to do with the heat, um, and it's actually the same process with running hard. The harder that you run, uh, the more that your your body and system is going to start to shut down. And um, even even if you're just even if it's not nutritional related, where it doesn't sound like you're eating too close to running as you mentioned, um, but it's still the process that there's still stuff going on with your digestive system, even if you're not um, eating close to your run. And so that's more most likely kind of what it is. Um, 
to be honest with you, I think the biggest thing that you're going to need to to, um, to control is just backing off the workouts. Um, so running hard, but not so hard that you're getting sick. Um, to me, that signifies that you're probably training a little bit too hard. So I'm not sure if uh, I, I tried to make that as general as possible for everybody that might be listening, uh, but that's the, the specific recommendation that I would give um, is that uh, throwing up and, and really having stomach issues uh, is common, but it shouldn't be normal. It should be something that you kind of figure out whether it be nutritionally or trying to train too hard, those types of things. Yeah, and it, it could be internal where it's something specific to your body or it's, it's external, as you said, with the weather. Mm -hmm. I mean, she could be in Florida, she, she could be, uh, it's been muggy here in Boston and Northeast, so it's, it's uh, something that's, it's out of your control, but you need to be aware of it and, and make the changes necessary to your, your workouts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, cool, so we have Mario, he is, uh, sends his greetings from Venice, um, or, no, that wasn't Venice. Vienna, Austria. I'm sorry. Uh, he says, I run four times a week. Um, I think per workout, he's saying 10 to 20K. Yep. He's planning to do his first marathon in September, so two months off. Any recommendations? It's very general, but uh, let's go with uh, how about three recommendations for Mario for his, uh, his first marathon? Yeah, so um, if, if it is indeed the case that you're running four times a week, 10 to 20K per run, um, then actually probably the best recommendation is going to be um, you want to start doing marathon specific type work and it goes back to what we talked about with um, you know teaching your body to burn fat as a fuel source so the type of workouts that you want to be want to start doing are going to be right around marathon pace or just a little bit faster depending on the distance um, and teaching your body how to run at marathon pace what marathon pace feels like um, and then you want to start implementing some type of long runs that um, usually have a, a steady run the day before or during the long run itself you're doing some type of mileage in your marathon pace range so whether it be what we call a fast finish run which is um, let's say you're doing a 30k run running 20k easy um, or kind of you know at, at an easier pace and then from 20 to 25k running at your marathon pace and then running the last 5k easy uh, for our US users that's you know 30k is roughly 18 miles so it'd be like doing uh, 14 miles easy, uh, three miles hard, and then a mile kind of easy as a cool down. Um, those are what we call fast finish long runs. Um, and those, again, teach your body how to burn fat as a, meal, uh, as a fuel source. They teach you how to run marathon pace when you're tired, which is definitely going to be what happens after 20 miles. Um, so those are going to be the most important things, is start doing one or two workouts a week uh, where you're uh, running some part of your mileage or, or volume at uh, marathon pace and doing some type of marathon pace workouts. Um, that's going to be actually the biggest, that's going to be the, the best advice that I can give you uh, in terms of planning to do your first marathon. Yeah, there's, you could give a laundry list of stuff, but yeah, you gotta, there's there's only a few things you can knock off with only two months away. Right, exactly. Yeah, if you're only two months out, uh, at this point I would be focusing on getting in marathon specific work and, and getting those long runs with some type of um, you know what we call something of something of substance. So fast finish, long run, some surges, those types of things. Yeah. All right. Dropping uh, tons of knowledge so far. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. Let's. We're gonna try for three more questions. Um, all right, Ian. He says, any plans for offering training plans for faster runners? This is probably more of a question for Runkeeper and our product team to figure out. But uh, he says, the fastest half marathon training plan is two hours. I'd love to see some gear towards the 130 crowd. This is for a half marathon. Runners with um, clear emphasis on how to improve speed. Um, we can kind of... No, uh, this, I think this is actually a question, question. I cover pretty well. Um, and, and the reason that they're probably, I mean, unless the product team wants to, but one of the reasons that generally there's not going to be... Um, faster paced plans uh, like this. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason for that is the faster you get, the more specific training has to be tailored to you. Mm -hmm. um, it's very difficult to make a generalized plan for somebody that's running a 130 type marathon. Um, the reason for that is training levels and training goals can be can vary so greatly. So 
um, for example, running a, a 130 marathon, there's a great range of mileage that somebody can put in uh, to be able to do that, whether, whether, what their long runs are going to be, what their easy mileage is going to be. And more importantly, um, the strengths and weaknesses uh, to improve at your level or when you're a fast runner and you're already kind of at your, you know, near your um, PR ability or what your, um, I guess, your, your limit is going to be, uh, the, higher, the closer you get to that, the more specific workouts need to be towards your strengths and weaknesses. So assigning some type of general workouts while are going to are going to be okay in the sense of they're going to follow general training theory um, are not going to work very well for runners that are faster because they need uh, training that is very specific to their strengths and weaknesses. Um, so to be honest, like I don't know that there would be plans for that in general um, just because even if somebody tried uh, or even if I, if I wanted to, um, I could put a plan out there, but it's not going to be as successful as it's going to be for a runner that's you know, a little bit, uh, that's a little bit newer to the sport or a little bit uh, farther away from their potential uh, than uh, faster runners are going to be. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think it, it ties back to uh, what you said right when we came, came on air about when you work with clients, it's really about knowing their personalities mm -hmm. and their body types and really the nuances and to really drop time in that in these categories getting getting below a 130 half marathon which is flying you really have to know the intricacies of, of that athlete right so let me give you an example um, there are two athletes that I work with now who are both uh, one's a 255 marathoner. They're both females. One's a 255 marathoner, and the other's uh, 257, I believe, are her PR. Um, so they're roughly 120, 125 half marathoners in that range. They haven't run one in a while. Um, but the training of the, the 255 marathon runner, she runs about 60, 65 miles a week. Um, that's pretty much her peak. Um, going beyond that for her, she, she's, a, uh, she's pretty busy, and, and going beyond that for her, she tends to get injured. Um, and her weakness is actually um, her ability to, to do some of the longer type efforts, longer workouts. So for the marathon, doing kind of 10 miles at marathon pace, um, doing a two by six mile, those types of workouts for her are very difficult. So that's what we work on in her training. The, and, and, but she runs relatively low mileage. Her, her long runs aren't that long, uh, but she does some pretty long uh, workouts where she's doing, again, 10 miles at marathon pace kind of stuff. Um, the 257 marathoner, uh, so again, they're only two minutes apart in, in marathon, and, and obviously a sub-three-hour marathon for a woman is, 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 is very good. Um, the two, the sub, she's running, I think, 90 to 95 miles a week, right in that range on average. Um, she has a really, her ability to run long and easy is, it's, it's, it's tremendous. That's her strength. I mean, she can, she can run marathon pace miles, you know, all day long in training. She can do a 10-mile tempo at marathon pace like it's nothing. Um, but where she really has trouble is with her speed. Um, I don't. We haven't done a 5K in a long time, but her 5K PR does not match up anywhere near her marathon time. So what we're working on with her is improving her ability to be more efficient at marathon pace. Um, so we're working on her speed. We're working on her efficiency. Um, now, so you can see these women are roughly the same goal. They're both. They're both. Their next goal is both be around 250 for the marathon, but we're attacking it from two completely different angles. Um, and that's because at their level, um, their strengths and weaknesses are so va so vastly different that their training is is completely different. Um, and so that's the problem that you run into when uh, you're trying to get that much faster. Um, you know, when you're trying to run your first marathon or to break four hours, um, roughly the the training that's going to get you there is going to be a same, the roughly the same across the board. Um, it's going to be working on improving that your ability to to run more mileage. Uh, to get in the aerobic type building workout. So it's a little bit more general, uh, whereas the faster you get, the more specific it needs to be to you. So um, again, we could create a plan for any one of those runners, and it may not match up with who you are as a runner. So that's why the faster runners tend to, to have more trouble with generic type plans. Yeah, that's, that's fast. The story that you just told is fascinating. I'm interested that the second runner, mm -hmm. are you with the Speedworks, or are you doing more anaerobic? workouts and, and those like fast twitch um, speed you know sprint even mm -hmm. sprint type stuff yeah we, we it's actually what we call speed development so um, especially now in the summer she's not doing a fall marathon um, she's going to do either a late winter or early spring marathon 
So what we're doing now is what we call speed development. So she's on the track about two, two times a week, and she's doing intervals as short as 100, 150 meters, 50 meters. So she's literally going to the track and, and sprinting as hard as she can um, for, for different varying, varying times, varying speeds, that's t those types of things. Um, and it's, it's very different than, you know, what, what we, it's, she's not marathon training because she doesn't have a marathon training uh, coming up. Uh, but what we're doing is working on her, on her efficiency uh, and those types of things. So it's, it's completely different. You're right, doing 400-meter, 600-meter repeats, um, those types of workouts. Um, very different from what a marathoner would do. But again, we're working on her ability to, to run faster, easier. Yeah, to, to eat her own. That's exactly. And, and, and that, that's where, again, when, you're, when you get to that level, uh, that's the type of, of detail and planning that you need. Um, to be able to, to take that next step with your training. Yeah, and that's what... Oh, I lost you, Chad. I lost your audio. Uh, oh, okay, you're back. You're good. Back. There we go. Cool. Um, yeah, and that's where, that's where a personalized coach in, in your, your instance really comes into play. Mm -hmm. um, cool. So Matt Mullen, he's here in the States, I believe. He has our second and last question. He asks, do you think it's a good strategy for those of us with bad joints, quote-unquote knees, to reduce, reduce our mileage and increase our speed? I'm marathon training on only two days a week right now, running a pace that keeps my heart rate over 165, so I do know it's high-quality work, and then resting hard for my joints. My friends say I'm doing it wrong. Jeff, is, is Matt doing it wrong? Uh, I have to say that that uh, Matt is probably doing it wrong. Um, yeah. First, let me let me start out by answering the question of whether running um, injures your joints or hurts your knees or is bad for your knees. Um, that's probably one of the most common questions that I get as from beginner runners. And unfortunately, um, uh, the New York Times doesn't do us any favors when they uh, when they look at research studies that and and don't look at them correctly. But um, I'm basically referencing the fact that New York Times put out an article. I don't know, a few months ago, maybe it was longer than that, about a study that showed that running uh, hurts your knees. But they really just did a poor job of actually analyzing the study. I don't know if they just looked at the abstract or if the author just doesn't know how to read a, a proper study. Um, but in any case, it's been pretty much proven uh, through other, through really, through strong research studies um, that running has, it won't cause knee damage. Um, there is the possibility that runners will get knee problems, um, but that has to do with their own individual biomechanics um, and their own individual problems. Just like any runner can develop a stress fracture or get Achilles tendonitis, um, it's it's completely unique to the individual. Um, running in general does not cause knee problems. Um, so let me first get that out of the way. So to to let everybody know that there's no fear uh, in in getting knee injuries beyond any other injury that you would normally get. Um, as, a, as to whether running harder is going to be uh, better or worse for the joints, um, personally, I think it's going to be harder because you're putting much more stress. The impact forces are much greater when you're running faster, um, and it's probably not hard to visualize that the faster you run, the more, uh, more uh, impact you're going to be creating with the ground. Um, and to be honest with you, the best way to, to lessen that impact would be to run nice and easy uh, focus on having good form, a higher cadence, um, and running on softer surfaces, whether it be grass or gravel, those types of things, something where it's taking the impact off um, and doing it more consistently. So in, if you're training for a marathon uh, on two days a week, uh, I would assume that both of those runs have to be pretty uh, high volume as well, um, at least I would think. And so what would be better for your joints is to spread out that uh, mileage over the week. So uh, I guess if, if you're trying to run 20 or 30 miles a week, um, it's better to spread that out over four or maybe even five runs um, and to start and to do less mileage uh, during those running days than to do to basically wreck your knee trying to run hard, trying to run long, and then spending five days trying to recover um, is going to be worse than doing three to four miles, um, running easy, doing less damage to the knee, um, you know, treating it with therapy, all that kind of stuff, and then uh, doing a run the next day. Those types. Of, not only is that going to help your training more in terms of preparing for the marathon, that's going to be better. Uh, but I personally think that it's going to help your joints more. So that's probably the approach I would take. Got it. 
and it, it goes back to, I know this is one of your, your core uh, tenets, is you can never, by increasing your the number of days per week that you work out, mm -hmm. um, I know you've always said you can never run too slowly Absolutely. on easy days, mm -hmm. but you can run too fast on, on hard days, and uh, max two days a week, it sounds like he's pushing it way too hard to even have an easy day. Right, exactly. And so the reason that is is that for, for easy days, when you, again, uh, one of the major, uh, major contributors to getting better and to getting faster is to develop your aerobic system. And research has shown that your aerobic system, you, you develop your aerobic system most by running between 65 and 75% of your 5K pace. So for most people, that's going to be about two minutes slower than, than your 5K race pace. Um, that's where kind of the optimal aerobic development happens when running easy. Um, any faster than that, so any faster than 75% of your 5K pace, so between 75% and whatever higher, there, there, really, there, very isn't, there isn't a lot of aerobic development going on. So basically what's happening for somebody like Matt or anybody that's running their easy days too fast who are, who, who are thinking like, okay, this is an easy day, I'm going to run it faster and that's going to be better for me, uh, it's actually worse because now instead of developing your aerobic system, you're probably what in what we call a gray zone, which is this area where you're not really developing your aerobic system, but then you're not running fast enough for it to be a hard workout. So you're not running at threshold pace or you're not running at VO2 max anaerobic pace. You're kind of in this gray zone where you're not slow enough to be aerobic, not fast enough to actually do any, uh, to be helpful. And so you're kind of just getting nothing out of the run except for being more tired, more stress to your joints, more stress to your muscles, that kind of thing. So you're exactly right with that, uh, with that analogy. Yeah, that's in, that's in complete contrast to, I grew up playing sports my whole life and, and I, wasn't, I wasn't on the track team or cross country team, but every practice was supposed to, you were supposed to go at 110%. Absolutely. And that, that's why running is sometimes the hardest sport for people to transition to as they get older because it's so different than any other sport. Even in swimming and cycling, which are endurance sports, um, and, I, and I, I don't claim to know a lot about them, so I could be completely off here, but in those sports, you can go roughly as hard as you can or, or get away with going as hard as you can more often because there's, such a, there's less risk of injury um, in those types of sports. Not that you can't get hurt, but there's much, much less. There's much less impact. Um, but you're right. When you play football, when you play baseball or soccer or whatever, whatever other sport you play, you're always taught 100% you know, effort all the time. And I know when I started in high school, uh, like my first run of sophomore year in high school, I did the same thing. Like my mm -hmm. coach would say, oh, go do three miles easy. And I ran it as hard as I could. And my dad was you know, right behind me. You know, Oh, you're going for a run today. You're going to run as hard as you can. And I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. And I would run as hard as I could. Um, and, and boy, is that a recipe for disaster. Um, and I know that's an extreme. And I know people aren't running as hard as they can. But faster is not always better. And, and that is unbelievably hard. To be honest, I ran four years in high school, four years in college, and it wasn't until maybe my first or second year as a professional runner, so after college, that I really started to grasp that idea that faster is not better. So you're, it took me eight years, and, and I, you know, I studied the sport. I mean, I, I loved running. I mean, I read everything possible and, and took classes and everything, and it took me eight, nine years to, to get it through my head that running slower is better. So I don't expect it to happen overnight for, for runners that are just starting, uh, but I try as hard as I can uh, to, to drill in that, that, uh, that idea that running faster is not better. And um, it doesn't always work, but I try. <laughs> yeah. It gets, it's back to the efficiency thing. And we, the, the analogy here at RunKeeper, I mean, we're a startup, and it's, it's just all, all companies in general and business. It's how, how do we... We're constantly trying to figure out how to work smarter, not harder. Right. It's, yep, exactly. We're not going to work uh, 14, 15 hour days. It's not sustainable. Um, right. You might do that when, when you need to or when there's a deadline, but you're, you're going to burn out and you're going to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. So we got the last question from Monica, and I think it's, I think it's a good closing question. Nothing, um, nothing too complex, but uh, I think it's a good, good capper. Uh, so she says, I started running in March of this year and completed my first 5K on June 1st. Congrats, Monica. What's next, Jeff? Should I bump up to training for a 10K or stick to 5Ks for a while? 
I want to do another race in September or October, but I want to avoid injury. That's a great question. And to be honest, I think you could go either way. And my, my advice to you would be to pick what is going to make you happiest. Um, is it going to make you happier to try to get faster in a 5K? So whatever your time is, is it going to make you happy to, let's say you ran 34 minutes. Is it going to make you happier to, um, to break 30 minutes? Or is it going to make you happier to tell your friends, I ran 10K, or make you feel better about yourself to say, I raced a 10K? Whatever that answer is, that's probably what you want your goal to be. Um, and that's what I tell any athletes that, that I work with in terms of goals. You know, like what's going to make you happiest with yourself and your progress and what's going to motivate you to get you out the door? Um, generally speaking, um, I tell athletes that are beginners to go for the next distance. Um, and I think 5K to 10K is a good step. Um, I'm glad you didn't say you want to do a marathon next. Mm -hmm. um, but and the reason I say that is that when you do a 10K, that's going to require you to do a little bit more mileage, not a lot, um, do a little bit further long runs. Um, and that all goes back to the aerobic system. So you're going to be doing more mileage, training consistently, doing longer long runs, developing your aerobic system. And that is actually going to make you faster at the 5K just in general. Um, because the stronger your aerobic system gets, the easier it's going to be to run a 5K. And so I think you're, you could train for the 10K and get to that distance. And I think automatically you'll get faster at 5K. So if you want my specific advice, I would say try to run a 10K. And then I think it's also going to be the contributing factor of also allowing you to run faster in the 5K. Cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, one stone. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, with with a ton of people got races. Uh, the fall is a great time for races. Um, yep. So this summer is the weather's nice, but they definitely got to watch themselves with the heat. Um, yeah, it can be tough. Yeah, as we found with one of, one of those questions, I think I think didn't directly talk about heat, but I, I think uh, I think that's probably what's going on in that, in that particular case. Because yeah. I know I suffer too in, in the heat. If I try to do a hard workout, my stomach is upside down for hours after a hard workout in the heat uh, just because that the, the, the stomach just shuts itself down. Yeah, it does. Um, all right, Jeff. Well, this, this was super helpful. We really appreciate uh, not only this, taking the time to help people out today, but offering up your training plans to, um, to our users and you know helping beginners all the way up to uh, people trying to break a PR. And if you guys want to learn more about um, Jeff's company and his, his services and his coaching, um, you can check out the website runnersconnect.net. Runnersconnect.net, yep. And then on Twitter, I think there's a hash, there's an underscore. Between runners and connect. It's runners underscore connect. Yep. So we, we can send out those links uh, for more info. And then your last name, if people want, uh, it's a little tough. It's G-A-U-D-E-T-T-E, -T -T -E, two T's at the end. Yep, as French as you get. <laughs> right. Uh, any any last words, Jeff? Uh, no, I think the, I think that's it. I'm uh, I'm excited. I, I appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to me to chat, and hopefully they learned a lot. And obviously, if, if I couldn't answer their specific question, I hope they learned from the answers that I was able to give and and trying to keep it general. So. Cool. I know. I know. We did. Even even a lot of Runkeeper employees said, "You better ask Jeff this, or make sure to touch on this point." And uh, I have a lot to report back to him on uh, a lot more answers and questions now. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks, everybody.